8. Deadfall is weighted with stones. Cementers near some forested mountains in the Bantak area are pestered with monkeys. Day and night people remain on guard against them in lonely, dangerous places just the kind of spot the headhunter chooses wherein to surprise his enemy. All border cementers in every group of fields are subject to the night visits of wild hogs. In some areas commanding piles of earth for outlooks are left standing when the cementers are constructed. In other places outlooks are erected for the purpose. Permanent shelters, some of them commodious stone structures, are often erected on these outlooks where a person remains on guard night and day place elects VII. At night burning a fire to frighten the wild hogs away. At this season of the year when practically all the people of the Pueblo are in the cementers, it is most interesting to watch the homecoming of the laborers at night. At early dusk they may be seen coming in over the trails leading from the cementers to the Pueblo in long processions. The boys and girls five or six years old or more, most of them entirely naked, come playing or dancing along the boys often marking time by beating a tin can or two sticks seemingly as full of life as when they started out in the morning. The younger children are toddling by the side of their father or mother, a small, dirty hand smothered in a large, labor-cracked one, or else are carried on their father's back or shoulder, or perhaps astride their mother's hip. The old men and women, almost always unsightly and ugly, who go to the cementer only to guard and not to toil, come slowly and feebly home, often picking their way with a staff. There is much laughing and coquetting among the young people. A boy dashes by with several girls in laughing pursuit and it is not at all likely that he escapes them with all his belongings. Many of the younger married women carry babies, some carry on their heads baskets filled with weeds used as food for the pigs, and all have their small rump baskets filled with greens or snails or fish. A man may carry on his shoulder a huge short log of wood cut in the mountains, the wood partially supported on the shoulder by his spear, or he perhaps carries a large bunch of dry grass to be thrown into the pig pen as bedding, or he comes swinging along empty-handed save for his spear used as a staff. Most of the returning men and boys carry the empty topeel, the small, square, covered basket in which rice for the noon meal is carried to the cementera. Sometimes a boy carries a bunch of three or four, and he dangles them open from their strings as he dances along. For an hour or more the procession continues one almost naked figure following another all dirty, most of them doubtless tired and yet seemingly happy and content with the finish of their day of toil. It is long after dark before the last straggler is in harvesting rice harvesting in Bantak is a delightful and picturesque sight to an American, and a most serious religious matter to the Idro. Though ceremonials having to do with agriculture have purposely been omitted from this chapter, yet, since one of the most striking and important features of the harvesting is the harvest ceremonial, it is thought best to introduce it here. SAFOSAB is the name of the ceremony. It is performed in a pathway adjoining each cementer before a single grain is gathered. In the path the owner of the field builds a tiny fire beside which he stands while the harvesters sit in silence. The owner says, So Miles Kaka Pakuta no ISA Miles Sikapin Ponam Nanalang, which, freely rendered, means, Polly, when we carry you to the granary, increase greatly so that you will fill it. As soon as the ceremonial is said the speaker harvests one handful of the grain, after which the laborers arise and begin the harvest, in the trails leading past the cementer to tall stalks of runa are planted, and these, called pug-i-pug, warn all idrill that they must not pass the cementer during the hours of the harvest, nor will they ignore the warning, 
since if they do they are liable to forfeit the hog or other valuable possession to the owner of the grain. I spent half a day trying to get close enough to a harvesting party to photograph it. All the harvesters were women, and they scolded our party long and severely while we were yet six or eight rods distant, my girl boys carrying the photographic outfit boys who had lived for months in my house laughingly but positively refused to follow me closer than three or four rods to the cementera. No photographs were obtained at that time. It was only after the matter was talked over by some of the men of the Pueblo that photographs could be willingly obtained, and the force of the warning tug I tug withdrawn for our party. Even during the time my Idril boys were in the trail by a harvest party all of Idril passed around the warning runo. The Idril says he believes the harvest will be blasted even while being gathered should one pass along a pathway skirting any side of the cementera. Several harvesters, from four to a dozen, labor together in each cementera. They begin at one side and pass across the plat, gathering all grain as they pass. Men and women work together, but women are recognized the better harvesters, since their hands are more nimble. Each fruited stalk is grasped shortly below the fruit head, and the upper section or joint of the stalk, together with the fruit head and topmost leaf, is pulled off. As most bantakidra are right-handed, the plucked grain is laid in the left hand. The fruit heads projecting beyond between the thumb and forefinger while the leaf attached to each fruit head lies outside and below the thumb. When the proper amount of grain is in hand a bunch of stalks about an inch in diameter the useless leaves, all arranged for one grasp of the right hand, are stripped off and dropped. The bunch of fruit heads, topping a six-inch section of clean stalk or straw is handed to a person who may be called the binder. This person in all harvests I have seen was a woman. She binds all the grain three, four, or five persons can pluck, and when there is one binder for every three gatherers the binder finds some time also to gather. The binder passes a small, prepared strip of bamboo twice around the polystalks, holds one end between her teeth and draws the binding tight, then she twists the two ends together, and the bunch is secure. The bunch, the manojo of the Spaniard, the symphony of the Idro is then piled up on the binder's head until a load is made. Before each bunch is placed on the pile the fruitheads are spread out like an open fan. These piles are never completed until they are higher than the woman's arm can reach several of the last bunches being tossed in place. Guided only by the tips of the fingers touching the butt of the straw, the women with their heads loaded high with ripened grain are striking figures and one wonders at the security of the loads. When a load is made it is borne to the transportation baskets in some part of the harvested section of the cementera, where it is gently slid to the earth over the front of the head as the woman stoops forward. It is loaded into the basket at once unless there is a scarcity of binders in the field, in which case it awaits the completion of the harvest. In all agricultural labors the idro is industrious, yet his humor, ever present with him, brings relief from continued toil. The harvest field is no exception. Since there is much quiet gossip and jest during the laborers, in 1903 rice was first harvested May 2nd, the harvest continued one month, the crop of a cementera being gathered here and there as it ripened, the Idro calls this first harvest month the moon of the small harvest, during June the crop is ripened everywhere, and the harvest is on in earnest, the Idro speaks of it as the moon of the all harvest, I had no view of the harvest of millet or maize, however, I have seen in the Pueblo much of each grain of some previous harvest. The millet I am told, is harvested similarly to the rice, and the clean stalked bunches are tied up in the same way only the bunches are four or five times larger. 
the fruit head, or ears, of the maize is said to be plucked off the stalks in the fields as the American farmer gathers green corn or seed corn, it is stored still covered with its husks, the kamote harvest is continued fairly well throughout the year, undoubtedly some kamotes are dug every day in the year from the dry mountainside cementers, but the regular harvest occurs during November and December during which time the commotes are gathered from the irrigated cementers preparatory to turning the soil for the transplanting of new rice. Women are the commote gatherers. I never saw men, nor even boys, gathering commotes. At no other time does the Idra woman look so animal-like as when she toils among the commote vines, standing with legs straight and feet spread, her body held horizontal, one hand grasping the middle of her short commote stick and the other in the soil picking out the unearthed commotes. She looks as though she never had stood erect and never would stand erect on two feet. Thus she toils day after day from early morning till dusk that she and her family may eat. Storing no poly is carried to the A-Lang, the separate granary building, or to the dwelling for the purpose of being stored until the entire crop of the cementera is harvested. It may be carried part way, but there it halts until all the grain is ready to be carried home. It is spread out on the ground or on a roof in the sun two or three days to dry before storing. When the grain is to be stored away an old man any man asks a blessing on it that it may make men, hogs, and chickens well, strong, and fat when they consume it. This ceremony is called Kafo Cab, and the man who performs it is known by the title of In Kafot, the Igral Granary, the Alang, is a hip-roofed structure about eight feet long, five wide four feet high at the sides and six at the ridge pole. Its sides are built of heavy pine planks, which are inserted in grooved horizontal timbers, the planks being set up vertically. The floor is about a foot from the earth. The roof consists of a heavy, thick cover of long grass securely tied on a pole frame. It is seldom that a granary stands alone usually there are two or more together, and Bontoc has several groups of a dozen each, as shown in place LXXII. When built together they are better protected from the rainstorms. The roofs also are made so they extend close to the earth, thus almost entirely protecting the sides of the structure from the storms. All cracks are carefully filled with pieces of wood wedged and driven in. Even the door, consisting of two or three vertical planks set in grooved timbers, is laboriously wedged the same way. The building is rodent-proof, and, because of its wide, projecting roof and the fact that it sets off the earth, it is practically moisture-proof. Most poly is stored in the granaries in the small bunches tied at harvest. The A-Lang is carefully closed again after each cement or a crop has been put in. There are granaries in Bontoc which have not been opened, it is said, in eight or more years, except to receive additional crops of poly, and yet the grain is as perfectly preserved as when first stored. Some poly, especially that needed for consumption within a reasonable time is stored in the upper part of the family dwelling. Maize and millet are generally stored in the dwelling, in the second and third stories, since not enough of either is grown to fill an A-Lang. It is said, commotes are sometimes stored in the granary after the harvest of the irrigated fields. Often they are put away in the kudkub, the two compartments at either end of the sleeping room on the ground floor of the dwelling. At other times one sees bushels of commotes put away on the earth under the broad bench extending the full length of the dwelling. In the poorer class of dwellings the commotes are frequently dumped in a corner. Beans are dried and shelled before storing and are set away in a covered basket, usually in the upper part of the dwelling. Only one or two cargoes are grown by each family. So little space is needed for storage, 
since rice is the staple food and may be preserved almost indefinitely, the Igaro has developed a means and place to care for it. Maize and millet, while probably capable of as long preservation, are generally not grown in sufficient quantity to require more storage space than the upper part of the dwelling affords. The Igaro has not developed a way to preserve his commotes long after harvest, they are readily perishable. Consequently no place has been differentiated as a storehouse. Expense and profit an irrigated cement or a 60 by 100 feet, having 6.000 square feet of surface, is valued at 2 carabatos, or, in money, about 100 pesos. It produces an average annual crop of 10 cargos of poly, each worth 1 peso. Thus there is an annual gross profit of 10% on the value of the permanent investment. It requires 10 men one day to turn the soil and fertilize the plant. The wage paid in poly is equivalent to 5 cents per laborer, or 50 cents. Five women can transplant the rice in one day, cost, 25 cents. Cultivating and protecting the crop falls to the members of the family which owns the cementera. So the Igro say, he claims never to have to pay for such labor. 20 people can harvest the crop in a day, cost, 1 peso. The total annual expense of maintaining the cementera as a productive property island therefore, equivalent to 1.75 pesos. This leaves 8.25 pesos net profit when the annual expense is deducted from the annual gross profit. A net profit of 8.25% is about equivalent to the profit made on the 10.000 acre Bonanza grain farms in the valley of the Red River of the North, and the 5.000 acre corn farm of Iroa. Zooculture the carabao, hog, chicken, and dog are the only animals domesticated by the Igro of the Bantak culture area. Cattle are kept by Bangat Igro throughout the extent of the province. Some towns, as Kabayan, have 300 or 400 head, but the Bantak Igro has not yet become a cattle raiser. In Bangat, Lepanto, and Abra there are pueblos with half a hundred brood bears. Doklan, of Bangat, has such a bunch and other pueblos have smaller herds. In Bantak province between Bantak Pueblo and Lepanto province a few mares have recently been brought in Sagada and Didapan each have half a dozen. Near the east side of the Bantak area there are a few bunches of horses reported among the Idro. And in February, 1903, an American brought 16 head from there into Bantak. These horses are all descendants of previous domestic animals and an addition of half a hundred is said to have been made to the number by horses abandoned by the insurgents about three years past. Some of the sixteen brought out in 1903 bore saddle marks and the brands common in the coastwise lands. These eastern horses are not used by the Idro except for food, and no property right is recognized in them. Though the Idro brands them with a battle axe brand, he exercises about as much protecting control over them as the Bantak man does over the wild Carabao. Carabao the people of Bantak say that when Lumawood came to Bantak they had no domestic Carabaos that those they now have were originally purchased. Before the Spaniards came, from the Tingian of Abra province, there are in the neighborhood of 400 domestic Carabaos owned in Bantak and Samoki. Most of them run half wild in the mountains encircling the Pueblos, such as are in the mountains receive neither herding, attention in breeding, feed, nor salt from their owners. The young are dropped in February and March, and their owners mark them by slitting the ear, each person recognizing his own by the mark. A herd of 17, consisting of animals belonging to five owners, ranges in the river bottom and among the cementers close to Bantak. These animals are more tame than those of the mountains, 
but receive little more attention, except that they are taught to perform a certain unique labor in preparing the cementers for rice. As has been noted in the section on agriculture, this is the only use to which the Bantak Carabao is put as a power in industry. He is seldom sold outside the Pueblo and is raised for consumption, chiefly on various ceremonial occasions. Four men in Bantak own 50 Carabaos each. Three others have a herd of 30 in joint ownership. Others own five and six each. And again a single Carabao may be the joint property of two and even six individuals. Carabaos are valued at from 40 to 70 pesos. Hog Bantak has no record of the time or manner of first acquiring the hog, chicken, or dog. The people say they had all three when Lumawood came. 60 or 70 percent of the pigs leopard in Bantak are marked lengthwise with alternate stripes of brick red or yellowish hair. The other hair being black or white, the young of the wild hog is marked the same. All the pigs, both domestic and wild, outgrow this red or yellow marking at about the age of six months, and when they are a year old become fine-looking black hogs with white marking not unlike the Berkshire of the States. There is no chance to doubt that the Idro domestic hog was the wild hog in the surrounding mountains a few generations ago. The Bantak hog is bred, born, and raised in a secure pen, yet wild blood is infused direct. Since pigs are frequently purchased by Bantak from surrounding pueblos, most of whose hogs run half wild and intermingle with the wild ones of the mountains, that the domestic hog in some places in northern Luzon does thus interbreed with the wild ones is a proved fact. In the Quayongan area I was shown a litter of half-breeds and was told that it was customary for the Pueblo sows to breed to the wild boar of the mountains. The Bantak hog in many ways is a pampered pet. He is at all times kept in a pen and federal regularly three times each day with commote vines when in season, with commote pairings, and small commotes available, and with green vegetal matter, including puzzles, gathered by the girls and women when there are no commote vines. All of his food is carefully washed and cooked before it is given to him. The pig's tie consists of a pit in the earth about 4 feet deep, 5 or 6 feet wide, and 8 or 12 feet long. It is entirely lined with boulders, and the floor space consists of three sections of about equal size. One end is 2 or more feet deeper than the other, and it is into this lower space that the washings of the pen are stored in the rotted straw and weeds, and from which the manure for fertilizer is taken. The other end is covered over a level with the outside earth with timbers, stones, and dirt. It is the pig's bed and is entered by a doorway in the stone wall. Most of these beds have a low grass roof about 30 inches high over them. Underneath the roof is an opening in the earth where the people defecate. Connecting the bed section and the opposite lower section of the sty is an incline on which the stone feed troughs are located. As soon as a pig is weaned he is kept in a separate pen and one family may have in its charge three or four pens. The sows are kept mainly for breeding, and there are many several years old. The richest man in Bantak owns about 30 hogs, and these are farmed out for feeding and breeding a common practice. When one is killed it is divided equally between the owner and the feeder. When a litter of pigs is produced the bunch is divided equally, the sow remaining the property of the owner and counting as one in the division. Throughout the island of Luzon it is the practice to leave most male animals uncastrated, but in Bantak the boar not intended for breeding is castrated. Hogs are raised for ceremonial consumption. They are commonly bought and sold within the Pueblo, and are not infrequently sold outside. A pig weighing 10 pounds is worth about 3 pesos, and a hog weighing 60 or 70 pounds is valued at about 12 pesos.
Chicken The Bontoc domestic chickens were originally the wild fowl, found in all places in the archipelago, although some of them have acquired varied colorings and markings, largely, probably, from black and white Spanish fowl, which are still found among them. The markings of the wild fowl, however, are the most common, and practically all small chickens are marked as are their wild kin. The wild fowl bears markings similar to those of the American black-breasted red game. Though the fowls are smaller than the American game fowl, each of the twelve wild cocks I have had in my hands had perfect five-pointed single combs, and the domestic cock of Bontoc also commonly has this perfect comb. I know of no people within the Bontoc area who now systematically domesticate the wild fowl, though this was found to be the custom of the Ibilau southeast of Dupax in the province of Nueva Vizcaya. Those people catch the young wild fowl for domestication. The Bontoc domestic fowl are not confined in a coop except at night, when they sleep in small cages placed on the ground in the dwelling houses. In the daytime they range about the Pueblo feeding much in the pig pens, though they are fed a small amount of raw rice each morning. Their nests are in baskets secured under the eaves of the dwelling, and in those baskets the brooding hens hatch their chicks, from 8 to 20 eggs being given a hen. The fowl is raised exclusively for ceremonial consumption and is frequently sold in the Pueblo for that purpose, being valued at from half a peso to a peso each. A wild fowl sells for half a peso. In Benali of the Quayangan area, south of Bontoc, one may find large capons, but Bontoc does not understand caponizing. Dog The dog of the Bontoc Igaro is usually of a solid color, black, white, or yellow, really buckskin color. Where he originated is not known. He has none of the marks of the Asiatic dog which has left its impress everywhere in the lowlands of the west coast of Luzon called in the islands the Chino dog, and in the states the Eskimo dog. The Igaro dog is short-haired, sharp-haired, gaunt, and sinewy, with long legs and body. In height and length he ranges from a fair-sized fox terrier to a collie. I fail to see anything in him resembling the Australian dingo or the yellow cur of the states. The Ibilau have the same dog in two colors the black and the brindle the brown and black striped. In fact, a dog of the same general characteristics occurs throughout northern Luzon, no matter what may be his origin. A dog so widely diffused and so characteristically molded and marked must have been on the island long enough to have acquired its typical features here. The dog receives little attention from his owners. Twice each day he is fed sparingly with cooked rice or commodes, except in the case of the few hunting dogs. He does nothing to justify his existence. He lies about the dwelling most of the time, and is a surly, more or less evil-tempered cur to strangers. Though when a pueblo flees to the mountains from its attacking enemies the dog escapes in a spiritless way with the women and children. He is bred mainly for ceremonial consumption. In Bengat the Igaru eats his dog only after it has been reduced to skin and bones. I saw two in a house so poor that they did not raise their heads when I entered and the man of the house said they would be kept 20 days longer before they would be reduced properly for eating. No such custom exists in Bontoc, but dogs are seldom fed when eaten. They are not often bought or sold outside the Pueblo. A litter of pups is generally distributed about the town, and dogs are constantly bought and sold within the Pueblo for ceremonial purposes. They are valued at from 2 to 4 pesos. Clothing production man's clothing up to the age of 6 or 7 years the Igaro boys are as naked as when born. At that time they put on the suck length, the basket work hat worn on the back of the head, 
held in place by a cord attached at both sides and passing across the forehead and usually hidden by the front hair. The suckling is made in nearly all pueblos in the Bantoc culture area. It does not extend uninterruptedly to the western border. However, since it is not worn at all in Agua, and in some other pueblos near the Lepanto border, as Fidelison and Jugan, it has a rival in the headband, the beaten bark headband, called a pongoti, and the headband of cloth are worn by short-haired men, while the long-haired man invariably wears the hat. The suckling varies in shape from the fez-like tinoodi of Bantok and Samoki, through various hemispherical forms, to the low, flat hats developing eastward and perfected in the last mountains west of the Rio Grande de Cagayan. Barlick makes and wears a carved wooden hat, either hemispherical or slightly oval. It goes in trade to Mbawan. The men of the Bantok area also have a basket work. Conical rain hat. It is waterproof, being covered with beeswax. It is called segafi, and is worn only when it rains, at which time the suckling is often not removed. About the age of ten the boys frequently affect a girdle. These girdles are of four varieties. The one most common in Bantok and Samoki is the Samkitan, made of braided bark fiber strings, some six to twelve in number and about twelve feet long. They are doubled, and so make the girdle about six feet in length. The strings are the twisted inner bark of the same plants that play a large role in the manufacture of the woman's skirt. This girdle is usually worn twice around the body, though it is also employed as an apron, passing only once around the body and hanging down over the genital C place XXI. Another girdle worn much into Kukin, Kenyu, and Tulubin is called the Ikit. It is made of 6 to 12 braided strings of Bijuko C place LXXX. It is constructed to fit the waist has loops at both ends, passes once around the body, and fastens by a cord passing from one loop to the other. Both the Sankitan and the Ikit are made by the women. A third class of girdles is made by the men. It is called Kaakot, and is worn and attached quite as is the Ikit. It is a twisted rope of Bijuko, often an inch in diameter, and is much worn in May in it. A fourth girdle, called Kaaching, is a chain, frequently a dog chain of iron purchased on the coast often are a chain manufactured by the men, and consisting of large, open links of commercial brass wire about one-sixth of an inch in diameter, at about the age of puberty, say at fifteen, it is usual for the boy to possess a breechcloth, or WANIS, however, the cloth is worn by a large percent of men in Bantok and Samoki, not as a breechcloth but tucked under the girdle and hanging in front simply as an apron. Within the Bantok area fully 50% of the men wear the breechcloth simply as an apron. There are several varieties of breechcloths in the area. The simplest of these is a flayed tree bark. It is made by women in Barlig, Tulubim, Titipan, Agawa, and other Pueblos. It is made of white and reddish-brown bark. And sometimes the white ones are colored with red ochre. The white one is called Soput and the red one Tinanagi. Some of the other breechcloths are woven of cotton thread by the women. Much of this cotton is claimed by the Igoro to be tree cotton which they gather, spin and weave, but much also comes in trade from the Ilocano at the coast. Some is purchased in the bowl and some is purchased after it has been spun and colored. Many breechcloths are now bought ready-made from the Ilocano. Men generally carry a bag tucked under the girdle, and very often indeed these bags are worn in lieu of the breechcloth aprons the girdle and the bag apron being the only clothing see place CXXV and also frontispiece. Where, from left to right, figures 1, 2, 3, 5, and 7 wear simply a bag, 
One of the bags commonly worn is the Afi Chong, the bladder of the hog, the other, Chokao, is a cloth bag some 8 inches wide and 15 inches long. These cloth bags are woven in most of the pueblos where the cotton breech cloth is made. Old men now and then wear a blanket, Pite, but the younger men never do. They say a blanket is for the women. Some few of the principal men in many of the pueblos throughout the area have in late years acquired either the army blue woolen shirt, a cotton shirt, or a thin coat, and these they wear during the cold storms of January and February, and on special social occasions. During the period of preparing the soil for transplanting poly the men frequently wear nothing at the middle except the girdle. In and out of the pueblo they work, carrying loads of manure from the hog pens to the fields apparently as little concerned or noticed as though they wore their breechcloths. All Idro men, women, and children sleep without breechcloth, skirt, or jacket. If a woman owns a blanket she uses it as a covering when the nights are cold. All wear basket work nightcaps, called kulau. They are made to fit closely on the head, and have a small opening at the top. They may be worn to keep the hair from snarling, though I was unable to get any reason from the Idro for their use save that they were worn by their ancestors. Women's clothing from infancy to the age of eight and very often ten years the little girls are naked, not infrequently one sees about the Pueblo a girl of a dozen years entirely nude. However, practically all girls from about five years, and also all women, have blankets which are worn when it is cold, as almost invariably after sundown, though no pretense is made to cover their nakedness with them. During the day this pite, or blanket, is seldom worn except in the dance. I have never seen women or girls dance without it. The blankets of the girls are usually small and white with a blue stripe down each side and through the middle. They are called coupon. Those of the women are of four kinds the tinapai, the fayang, the fanchelo, and the pimagpagan. In barley, agua, and tulubin the flay tree bark blanket is worn, and in cambulo, east of barley. Woven bark fiber blankets are made which sometimes come to Bantuk, before a girl puts on her lutetium fit, or woven bark fiber skirt, at about 8 or 10 years of age, she at times wears simply the narrow girdle, later worn to hold up the skirt, the skirt is both short and narrow, it usually extends from below the navel to near the knees, it opens on the side, and is frequently so scant and narrow that one leg is exposed as the person walks the only part of the body covered on that side being under the girdle, or W.A. kiss a woven band about 4 inches wide passing twice around the body see place XXII. The women sometimes wear the braided string bijuco belt, I kit, worn by the men. The lutetium fit and the W.A. kiss are the extent of women's ordinary clothing. For some months after the mother gives birth to a child she wears an extra W.A. kiss wrapped tightly about her, over which the skirt is worn as usual. During the last few weeks of pregnancy the woman may